Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. peeps and welcome to woke af daily with me your girl danielle moody right here live from the bunker subscribe to pm mood my other free podcast and you will get woke af daily for the next three weeks in your feed it will show up automatically every day and it will say woke af daily so subscribe to pm mood pass it on to your friends this is the stay safe as fuck quarantine special for Woke AF Daily for the next three weeks. We are riding with you to help you through all of this. So ride with us and share for the next three weeks free with your friends. It is Wednesday, April 15th, and your president is a motherfucking dictator. Yeah. I know. Pause for shock. Uh, yesterday you had, uh, several governors because essentially they have all become regional presidents because we don't have one. We've had several governors link up, join arms, governors in the Northeast, governors in the West, uh, working and creating a coordinated effort to figure out how and when, uh, we begin to reopen. Now, Here's what we know to be true right at this stage of COVID, um, which is that, one, um, the United States as a whole has surpassed a death toll of 25,000. Um, roughly in one day, in one day, more than 1,500 Americans died. Uh, and the coronavirus cases have increased um, by more than 26,500 cases in 24 hours, 
bringing the total number of infections in the United States to 604,270. Death tolls in New York have hit 10,834 after increasing by 778 yesterday. Uh, New York remains the epicenter of the outbreak uh, with a total of 202,208 cases. By the time um, this show is done, that number will increase. And I think that what is mostly troubling is having to force yourself to disconnect from numbers just being numbers and recognizing that those are people. They are loved ones. They are friends. They are mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts, grandparents, school teachers, doctors, nurses, um, grocery store clerks, subway operators, bus drivers. They are people who are losing their lives to the coronavirus. They are losing their lives at breakneck pace because we have a dysfunctional government. Um, When pressed this week by a reporter about the slowness to respond, when pressed, um, Donald Trump did what he normally does. And this was Paula Reed, who was the latest woman, right? Because God knows that Trump cannot stand a woman, definitely can't stand a woman of color. We've seen him go after Yamish Alessandor uh, many times. He can't stand smart women questioning him on shit that he doesn't have an answer for. And so when Paula Reed asked him, so what have you been doing? You had like a two-month head start. Um, you spent time telling us that there were no cases, there were never going to be any cases. What have you done? I've done a lot. I've done a lot. Uh Uh-huh. And what is that thing? What is a lot? What does a lot look like? Quantify that for us. Roll it out for us. Give us some fucking bullet points. If you are not asking questions these days, if you are a White House reporter, and I don't give a fuck what network you work for, and you are not asking questions the way that Paula Reed asked this week the way that Yamish Alessandor has been asking um, forever. If you are not hammering this president to get to the truth, then you are not doing your fucking job. Okay, then you might as well stay home. Because the reality is, is that this situation that we find ourselves in, this is not an act of God. Okay, and when Donald Trump says things like we could have never known, no one could have ever known he is lying to your face. You know, yesterday, Barack Obama uh, endorsed Joe Biden. Joe Biden is obviously our nominee. It's not even we might just let go of the word presumptive. Um, He is the nominee. And in his announcement, video announcement yesterday, He did not mention Donald Trump by name, but what he did do is draw a stark contrast between Republican ideology that has brought us to this coronavirus cliff moment and where Democrats have and do stand, which is with scientists, with fact, with decency, with truth, and with transparency. Those are the words that came out of Barack Obama's video endorsement yesterday. 
Joe Biden is decent. Joe Biden is honest. Joe will surround himself with people who care about government, who want government to work, right? Who believe in the oath that they are taking to protect American citizens. He was so able to shade this current administration and this current crop of Republican sycophants without even uttering his name. You know, people keep saying to me, well, I need to fall in love and I need this, that, and the other thing for my uh, candidate and blah, blah, blah. You know what I need to do? I need to not die. I need to not have any of my loved ones die, right? I need to ensure that the people that are in charge care about my life, my well-being, my safety, and my health. I need, a, I need someone who is not using a global pandemic as an opportunity to get rich while other people get sick. I don't need a lot, okay? And I sure as fuck don't need a tap dance right now from Joe Biden. I just need him to keep playing Trump videos on loop where Trump says, I take zero responsibility. Where Trump tells a reporter who is asking questions about why he lacks empathy and referring to them as nasty. I need Trump on tape disparaging the U.S. Postal Service, disparaging nurses and doctors, telling us that they are, you know, maybe stealing their PPEs. And that they don't, you know, need as many supplies as they say they do. I need Jared Kushner saying that the ventilators that were in the federal stockpile are, quote unquote, ours. Right. They're not for the states. I need Donald Trump reminding people in his own words that he doesn't give a fuck about you. He cares about wealth. He cares about power, and that's all the Republicans care about. And if they can gain it off of your back, oh, they will. They will put their foot right on your neck, which is what they're trying to do right now with the announcing, right, with announcing that America is going to reopen. You can't reopen shit you didn't close. We are at over 600,000 cases in the United States I don't even know how many times more cases we have than our closest country. But let's just say fairly that we have lapped them a number of times. We still don't have universal testing. There are states that still don't have the supplies that they need. Thank God for the people on the West that sent over supplies to New York. Right? Thank God for the hotels in New York that have stepped up. Not Trump Tower, though. So all we really need to do over the next several months as we push through this global pandemic is to remind the American people who doesn't have your back, and excuse me, not even doesn't have your back, has a fucking target on it. When Donald Trump is talking with his economic advisors about reopening the country and getting people back to work, it's not so that you can keep a roof over your head. It's not so that you can maintain putting food on the table or getting medicine for those that are in need or that you are insured. No. They want to make sure that they can continue to make money. Do you know what was announced this week as well? 
that the evaluation of Amazon is at a trillion fucking dollars. So people are getting rich right now while others are dying. Amazon is at a trillion fucking dollars. And 22 million people have have applied for unemployment. Right? You have CEOs that are billionaires multiple times over asking their employees to pull together their vacation time and their sick days to help out other employees. Get the fuck out of here. The chasm between the rich and the poor in this moment is just so striking. So all Democrats have to do is tell the truth. You don't have to come up with some fancy campaign, some fancy social media strategy. No, just get on whatever platform every day and tell the fucking truth. It's not that hard. It's hard for Donald Trump because he's a compulsive liar and an egomaniac and a wannabe dictator, but it's not hard for everyone else with common sense. It should not take everything in us to beat Donald Trump, but I believe that it will. Because Republicans will do anything and everything over the next several months to make sure that they give Trump as much power as possible and that they suppress as many votes as possible. Because remember, when we show up, they lose. When we pay attention, they lose. When we vote in mass, they lose. These are trying times, crazy times, but there are still things within our control. And voting and paying attention is one of them. Folks, I am so happy to welcome back to Woke AF Daily, friend of the show, Jonathan Metzel, author of Dying of Whiteness. Um, Jonathan, so we have a new committee, apparently, or maybe we don't. It's so hard to keep track of what is backtracked and what is announced and what is new and what is a lie. Uh, but yesterday, it seemed um, circulating around town that Donald Trump was going to be um, naming folks to a committee to, quote unquote, reopen America. I'm not quite sure how you reopen something you did not have a hand in shutting down. But, you know, tomato, tomato. What are you hearing and thinking about this reopening of America? Well, good morning. It's great to be back. And I would say that this decision, this this committee, the decision that whatever committee or multiple committees or whatever is going to come out, apparently this, it's Tuesday that we're recording this, and apparently Trump's going to make an announcement today. We don't know the content quite yet um, of who's going to be on it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that this is a, this is a dramatically important moment for a couple of reasons. One, of course, is that um, if we don't do, if you know, we're, so we're kind of in phase one right now, which yep. is that we realize that we have a lethal virus um, that kills indiscriminately and also discriminately. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now, we're, our, our, you know, our cities and states and economies have shut down. And the question now is, and now that we're kind of figuring out, uh, you know, the patterns, what comes next, right? And so I think that across the board, <clears throat> of course, there is there's fear of the virus and how lethal it is. And there's also a sense of you know, the economic impact um, is potentially more more dangerous than, than the medical impact, the biological impact. And so how we decide how to take the next steps is is so important because if we don't do it right, 
um, the whole thing is just going to start all over again, right? The virus is going to you know, go run rampant. Every place is going to be as bad as New York. Um, so this is a vitally important moment and at a moment where President Trump really needs to pull together, despite his inclinations, um, a committees, committees of people from across the board, from, econ- from you know, economics, workers, um, people who are, are in public health. This is a moment where you want as many different viewpoints at the table as possible to arrive at difficult solutions. Um, unfortunately, what we saw yesterday, there was a report on Fox News that Trump, um, you know, I, I don't know if the veracity, Vanity Fair reported it and, and Fox News had reported mm-hmm. it for, for a little bit, was that the, that the, that the first committee was going to be basically, um, you know, big surprise. People, you know, people connected to the president who are not going to stand up to him and, and his relatives. So it was like it was um, it Ivanka, was uh, Ivanka, Jared, <laughs> Steve Mnuchin, <laughs> Wilbur Ross, uh, Larry yeah. Kudlow. Um, it, it, it was it, it was uh, it was something. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was, was a committee you know, of something. You, he might as well have put like you know Stormy Daniels on that committee. Like I mean, it was just it was just um, you know the, the idea that that, that 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 committee was going to come up with a critical solution. So I so you know so then a couple hours later you know there it, there was some confusion. Um, but I will say that the names that are being bandied around. I mean, it, it's so important right now because there are two issues. There's the public health issue, and then there's the economic issue. And those things are completely interrelated, right? And so if this decision is being made just by economic people who are just looking at the stock market, for example, um, it's going to be a public health disaster. And my concern about this uh, is that he, Trump is going to use these new committees to sideline you know, some of the public health experts, which have, um, I mean, think about, honestly, how many lives have public health experts saved in this country over the past months. I know there's been dramatic, you know, horrible stuff happening, but um, if this was just an economic decision to do that crazy herd immunity, I mean, we'd, we'd be seeing death tolls in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And so, you know, um, I think that what, what you can escape, right. What you, what you can't escape in this moment. And I, and I feel like we don't spend enough time discussing the fact that, the things that Trump is saying, right, when he says that I have total authority to do whatever it is, that I have total authority to overrule governors, right, which is essentially against the very essence of republicanism, right, which is that states should have more rights than the federal government. Their whole goal in life is to shrink the federal government, right, so that you could drown it in your bathtub. And here is Donald Trump coming in as the governors are rallying uh, themselves together, are putting together their own uh, committees and groups that they announced before Trump announced his committees about how the Northeast was going to be putting together their um, their reopening task force. And that's being led by Cuomo. You have the West Coast uh, governors being led by Gavin Newsom, who are putting together a reopening plan. You have these governors organizing in a way that you would have assumed that the president of the United States would have done weeks ago weeks ago at this point, now that we're all moving into our fifth week in some areas of being shut down. And 
He's not saying these things by accident. Donald Trump wants to be a dictator, believes that he is a dictator, believes that he alone can fix this, even though, mind you, he wasn't, he's not taking responsibility for any of it. So he's taking responsibility for none of what has happened, right? But he wants to take claim over any victory that comes out of this. And I think that we can't get lost in the fact that while a global pandemic is happening, that this president is still very much hell-bent on shredding our Constitution. Well, certainly a lot of the comments yesterday um, would, you know, were, were not in line with our Constitution or our country or our, our mode of governance. Um, you know, I mean, I just kept thinking yesterday, can you imagine if, like, President Obama got up and said, I, I, could you imagine just President Obama saying any of those words? What would happen? Um, and so the idea that, that, that a president can get up and say, like, I am the sole authority. I mean, it, it's, it's like Lord of the Rings kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, um, it's not, um, you know, but, but, but again, you know, th- th- this is a moment. I mean, he's, he's seizing this pandemic moment. Um, and, and I think that again is the, is the concern here. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say something optimistic, which is if you could imagine a different, a different scenario, I, I just all day when we were talking, when I was reading about this, this committee that's being formed, mm-hmm. I kept, I kept thinking about the, actually all the research on, on diversity actually. And, you know, this is like basically if you have a complex problem that a, that a business or a government is trying to solve, one that's not just a straightforward, you know, A to B kind of problem, that um, that organizations that are the most diverse often come up with the most creative and complex solutions that work the best for everybody. And the reason is because different people bring different things to the table. Um, people have different concerns. They're not all um, saying exactly the same thing or sucking up to the same person. And so... Um, in a way, there's all this literature about the productivity of, of diverse companies and the, the ways that they innovate better and things like that. And this is a really, really, really complex problem. I mean, probably one of the most complex problems we've ever faced, <laughs> ever. Um, and so, in a way, you know, th- this is the moment to, as I was saying before, pull together everybody you possibly can. And the fact that um, the fact that Trump is saying I'm in control and I'm going to um, you know, the names that are being suggested here um, on Fox News are people who really are just going to put the economy above everything else. And it's just honestly, I mean, the, the economy, first of all, is not going to work if you um, put all the workers at, at risk uh, through all of this. But this is just a moment where, um, you know, this impulse, this dictatorial impulse, it's not just problematic in like a Twitter sense. It's actually like really, really, really dangerous for the people of our country because, um, because we're, we're going to get committees that can't, that can't fix the problem that they're, that they're supposed to. I mean, but the fact, I mean, it's just so brazen, Jonathan. It's so brazen to, I mean, watching Trump try verbally assault members of the press yesterday at the presser. And like I tell people all the time, I don't watch the press conferences anymore. I watch Twitter and I watch the clips because it doesn't serve me. There's no point in me like taking time and energy to sit there to be lied to, right, for an hour or however long he goes off on his ramblings. But yesterday you had, once again, women reporters – 
press Donald Trump on the truth, press him on answers, and you watched him blow up. Mm-hmm. How, like, what, what should Democrats be doing in this moment? Because honestly, I don't know what the hell they're doing. Because I'm not clear as to why these outbursts, as to why these lies are not being shared in hit after hit after hit of political advertising, right? To show you that, you know who Donald Trump is putting in charge of the reopening of America? A bunch of Mr. Scrooges, if you watch DuckTales, right? A bunch of people who literally care about nothing but their ability to swim through their own money. They don't care that if they reopen the if they reopen the economy, quote unquote, reopen the economy, that millions of people getting sick and dying, not going to result in a high in, in in the stock market stock market shooting up. Why don't they make that stark contra- compa- comparison that seems to me to be so easy to make right now? This is just a very ideological moment. I mean, you, you, the movie I think of is Home Alone in a way because Trump is the only guy in Washington right now pretty much. And so the, the part of the reason Trump is getting away with this is that he's kind of seized. The, it's, it's very hard to counter narrative um, Trump right now when, you know, Congress is not there and only a few reporters can go into the room and all these kind of things. So in a way, he sees this as kind of a me moment. Um, in a way that that's hard to get around. Um, and the other part, I mean, I, you know, you, you were mentioning what news sources that you pay you pay attention to, and I don't know, I maybe this is masochism on my part, but I think it's really important for people, and this is what I've been trying to do, to read um, a lot of news sources you don't agree with, um, just to see how the kind of other political sides are are formulating this problem. Um, and so I've been reading Fox, I've been reading Breitbart. And um, there's, you know, some interesting stuff, but I, I would say that um, not a ton about the critique of this, but also just not a ton of information. And so a good part of the country is, is not seeing a lot of this, if, that, if that's their news source. And the other thing I found really terrifying when I was uh, looking at Fox yesterday was the names of people that Fox uh, commentators were suggesting for this committee to reopen. Um, Hannity was suggesting um, Art Laffer, um, who... Um, for people who know that name, um, he was kind of the um, the founder of the kind of ideology that led to the Sam Brownback disaster in Kansas. Um, basically, cut away all support, cut away all taxes, destroy health infrastructure for mostly um, 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 minority and low-income communities. Um, it was great for the economy for a little bit, but it was an absolute disaster. Um, and so... Um, you know, all of these kind of austerity politics. And I think the people that, that were being suggested on Fox News for this are people who are going to further the ideological agenda of undercutting the, um, you know, the social network, a lot of the social programs that arts conservatives hate, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, in the name of saving the stock market. And so, you know, I, I think that really to, to you know, I, I just kept waiting for them to, like, to suggest like Hannibal Lecter for the committee or something. I mean, but it's, yeah. 
It, it seems to me that that would make the most sense, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that in, in their selection, in their thinking, Republicans just continue to show that they don't give a damn about the American people. They don't care about your health. They don't care about your safety. So how hard is it for Democrats to draw a stark, you know, a, a stark line between these two parties? I, I, I don't understand it. You have one group of people that is interested in keeping the number of people who will unfortunately perish from this virus low, right? Whose goal it is to make sure that as few people die as possible, and we're already at over 10,000 people in New York alone. But we're having conversations about reopening a country that never properly shut down, which is why our numbers are the way they are. The only reason why New York has, you know, over uh, close to 150,000 cases right now, uh, positive cases of the coronavirus is because we're doing the most testing. No one else is doing this amount of testing. So we really have no idea what our true numbers are because we have a government that is hell bent on lying to us. And yet we're looking at China and saying, oh, well, we can't trust China. We can't trust the United States. We can't trust this administration. Never in my lifetime would I ever utter that about the leaders of this uh, of this country, even even when I knew that Bush was lying about weapons of mass destruction. You know, it, it's funny. The, the I mean, I, just, I was thinking about Ferguson when you were talking, honestly, um, and other things. I mean, it used to be that the states um, were the places that where people weren't um, being taken care of in a way. But, you know, but then Eric Holder comes in and writes the Ferguson report and federal, you know, federal intervention. So federal intervention actually used to be what kept the glue of this country together. If you think about, I mean, you know, very unevenly in, in many ways. Um, but, but, you know, the justice department used to stand for equality uh, in, in some ways Um uh, you know, so it, it's a, it, there's just a frustration. I, I know I should give you like a straight answer, but I would just say that our country has run so much better than it, than it's being run right now. Um, and at the time where we need a kind of functioning umbrella structure the most um, for everybody, particularly for people who are the most uh, at risk, um, we're, we're getting uh, just a series of different policies and different decisions and a, a very, very bad um, planning from the top. So it's just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sighing because I know I should give you like some straight answer, <laughs> but, um, but I, but, but, you know, as you know, my research looks at whether or not kind of Republicans are going to quote unquote wake up. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that, why that's not happening. Let me ask you, you know, I've been talking to a, a lot of people each week and, you know, the the majority of folks say no one wakes up to the election right until october like those of us whose work this is and you follow it and you report on it and you discuss it folks in general don't wake up until october now that we are all home but many people are on you know working from home trying to rear children educate them from home um trying to figure out how they're going to pay their mortgages, their rents. There are so many other life and death distractions, right, that are real 
that are genuine. It's not just about preoccupation or laziness or disinterest. How do we corral people? What do you think is the best way because we're so bifurcated, because our news is so siloed, because we know that even in the midst of this, people are dying because they're getting wrong information, right? People are still gathering together depending on what states and cities they live in and who is leading those places. So how do we corral people, you think, in this moment? Because honestly, you know, your book is entitled Dying of Whiteness, which to me is essentially dying of ignorance, right? Like, I I will cut my nose to spite my face. I will vote for people who are not in my best interest, right? As long as I preserve this thing that I think gives me more currency in the world. Well, you know, definitely. I mean, my book is Dying of Whiteness, and now I feel like we're living in a moment of dying of whiteness on steroids. Um, you know, th- these ideas are so powerful. I mean, in, in the book, as you know, uh, the, my argument was that people will make a decision if, if they feel like um, their their privilege um, is being threatened, often by immigrants or minorities. There's no there's no end to the bad decisions people will make. Um, but but in, in terms of your question of, of strategy, you know, which I think is really the important question going forward. Um, I guess number one, it's important to note just how centrally Trump has seized the pulpit, uh, the bully pulpit right now, um, and to figure out other ways of getting the word out. I think that democratizing, um, just the, I, I, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I, I do watch the press briefings. I just think it's important to know what's, what's going on, that just so that I can critique it, um, or, or support it if it's something I support. Um, but it, it's also that this, you know, figure out another way to decenter the news, which is hard with a guy like Trump. But the other part is, I really think there need to be strategies for talking to people who we don't agree with. Um, if you look on Fox News, for example, this morning, and um, we've got a pandemic, we've got a looming depression, um, and the main stories are about um, decades-old sexual assault claims that they're saying are against Joe Biden. It's like the main headline and every other news story is about the untold story of Biden's uh, sexual assaults. Um, and so people just aren't hearing a particular kind of news. And so I, I guess my sense is half the people are already going to vote on our side. Um, but I do think we need much better strategies for how to reach out to other people that are tied to um not just like you're you're ignorant or you're dumb or something like that, right. but also really try to try to figure out ways. Um, you know, in my book, I'll say not everybody I met was some ants on fire racist. Some, you know, a lot of people were just trying to get by, and they were using the frameworks that that were you know their familiar frameworks um, about just community and other kinds of things. And so, I do think it's very very important right now um, for Democrats to develop much better strategies for um, fighting back against polarization, not just fighting back against Trump, but actually figuring out ways to appeal to um, Trump's quote-unquote base, not the, you know, farthest part, but, I mean, there are a number of people, and I I can give you examples um, from before the pandemic, but, for example, the Kentucky gubernatorial election, Mm -hmm. the the Louisiana gubernatorial election, Democrats won in previously red states um, with a with um, with a kind of methods that were 
just taking people where they were at and addressing their concerns and things like that. And so it, it's, I, I, I just personally feel like as much as it's clear, we're on losing ground if we say Trump's an idiot and that's our, that's our, our framework. Um, but, but, I mean, I think, I think that Kentucky election was a great, great blueprint to say, we're going to give you health care. We didn't call it Obamacare. We didn't call it Medicare for all. We didn't call it anything that was already labeled. Um, but it was kind of like, we're going to, here's what we're going to do for you. And it was very hard for the Republican. Trump came in and tried to, tried to reverse the tide and couldn't do it. And so I think the answer is honestly to, to, um, as much as possible, address people's concerns. I think in the long run, that'll be a better strategy than, um, than, uh, than, than, you know, critiquing people. But I would also say that it's very hard when these provocations with Trump, um, you know, with, with every, every single day, it just gets more, it gets worse. Um, and the, the stakes are very high, right? So you need to obviously fight back again against that as well. The stakes are indeed incredibly, incredibly high. Jonathan Metzl, thank you so much for for making a weekly uh, appearance on Woke AF Daily to lend some insight and some much-needed thought to what is unfolding right now in America because, you know, I, I do. I think that your, your book... Um, dying of whiteness was just right on time, and every and with every headline, there's like a piece that I can pick out and say, "Yeah, Jonathan discussed this. Yeah, that's that's why we're here." Um, so I I really I continue to appreciate your work and um and you joining to to chat with us. It's honestly the highlight of my week. So thank you, thank you. Appreciate you. Excited to welcome back to Woke AF Daily Hour, uh, one of our regular contributors and MSNBC Morning Joe contributor, Kurt Bardella. Kurt, my goodness, you know, we're talking (laughs) once a week these days, which makes me so happy um, because I, you know, after I get off of our calls, I don't want to jump out the window. But um, apparently we live in a dictatorship now. Yesterday, Trump announced that he alone has all authority uh, over all of the states, over everyone, and apparently the Constitution might have caught the coronavirus and is now on a ventilator, given Trump's uh, statements. What do you make of that, being as how the foundation of Republican you know, ideology and theory has been the federal government is too big and states need more power? You know, all I could think about was imagine for a second how Republicans in Congress would have reacted to this dictatorial declaration Mm -hmm. if Barack Obama had said it. Uh, It's really not a hard thing to do because Republicans spent the entirety of the Obama presidency expressing their outrage over his use of executive power. They would cast President Obama as this lawless emperor-like figure, and, and, and doing so was really a centerpiece of the Republican strategy to hold on to Congress. Uh, it got to a point where I remember uh, th- the House Judiciary Committee, when they were led by Republicans, actually set up a task force to examine Obama's, quote, executive overreach that they made uh, Congressman Steve King, that racist from Iowa, mm-hmm. the chairman of. Uh, you know, There are quotes that, are, that, that you can find that just really illustrate – the hypocrisy that's at work right now. Uh, I remember Ted Cruz back in 2014 
wrote this column for Politico magazine, the headline of which was Obama is not a monarch. And he, he would go on about his lawlessness, how he's unconstitutional, how he's, quote, defiant and angry at the American people. Mm-hmm. And I think about things like that now and I go like, where did where did that guy go? Where did that Ted Cruz go? The Ted Cruz who said a presidential temper tantrum is not an acceptable means of discourse. When I think about people like Mark Meadows, who's now the president's chief of staff in the White House, who would go on and he said that President Obama had, quote, declared war on Congress and the American people by trying to bypass Congress and their will, that an executive order should not be used uh, to, to, to advance an agenda without Congress's approval. And so we hear President Trump yesterday saying his authority is total, mm-hmm. that when you're the president of the United States, you call the shots. Uh, not you know, The entire Republican orthodoxy has been built on the idea that big government is bad, that government power is dangerous, that local and state control and, and state sovereignty is crucial. And yet here you have President Trump stomping on all of that, declaring himself effectively a dictator, and Republicans are nowhere to be seen. I just, you know, it is just so, I I find it so deeply troubling, but also illuminating. I don't know how much more light people need to have reflected on Republicans, where they are and what they're doing right now for them to see the staunch difference in the choice that is presented to them for November, right? We have a president that received a two-month head start on a global pandemic and refuted facts, refuted science. And because of that, tens of thousands of people have died in the United States, over 10,000 alone in New York State. We have emails, we have messages that are dated that show us that Donald Trump and the Trump administration had this time to do the right thing. Now, in the midst, right, a couple of weeks in, Donald Trump said to reporters, those very same reporters who he told yesterday that he has total and complete authority over all of the states, he told them a few weeks ago he doesn't take responsibility for anything. So is it that the buck (laughs) stops with him, as Truman told us? Or is it that I don't take responsibility for anything? Is it that I alone can reopen the government, but I also wasn't responsible for why millions of Americans are sheltered in place right now? That is because of their governors. You know, it's such typical Trump. And and again, and, and I go back to something that we've talked about before, which is I question why at this point anyone is even broadcasting these ridiculous displays uh, on, on national television at this point, because in the same briefing, he'll he'll declare his autonomy and authority, but also he'll he'll say that it's not his fault that we need to work with the governors that uh, you know that they're the ones that that that, that are that are in charge, and, and and it's it's just so typical. Anything that goes wrong, not his fault; it's the governor's fault. Anything that he wants to do, or any time that his authority is challenged, or there might be limitations on what he can do. He declares all-out autonomy and authority, and, and and I do think that we're this is such an interesting moment because also happening this week, you know, we saw Senator Bernie Sanders endorse uh, 
former Vice President Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Obama is expected to do so he uh, has, later he today. Has, he has done so. Um, he, and, has, he has done so today already, um, which and, is trending right so you now. Have, so you have these you know, adversaries come together and, and, and a former president unite with his vice president. And I think that the contrast for American people is going to be very clear. You have one on one hand an unhinged, deranged lunatic who who wouldn't know the truth came up and slapped him in the face, mm-hmm. and, and on the other, uh, a, a return to what responsible governance will look like, uh, a return to what civility and decency looks like. Uh, you know, Vice President Biden, no matter what you think of his politics, no matter what you think about Medicare for all or college tuition or the Green New Deal or any specific public policy issue, I think everybody across the spectrum acknowledges that Joe Biden is a decent guy, mm-hmm. that he is someone with integrity. He is sincere and that he is, uh, you know, someone who cares about facts and truth. And the longer that this goes on, I, I think that the contrast that we will see between how Biden conducts himself and how Trump is conducting himself, um, I, I think that Trump is just going to talk himself right out, right out of office, honestly. But will he, Kurt? Because, like, when you say things like that, I want to believe you. Right. But then I look at the polls and I know that 40 percent of Americans still completely believe Trump and back him. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I saw today again, uh, President Obama earlier and, and, you know, it's 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 just picking up pace now endorsed Joe Biden. But he did so, Kurt, in this way where he didn't mention Donald Trump not one time. But what he did remind people of is that. In the midst of a global pandemic, Republicans are trying to take away your health care. In the midst of all of this, like, here's what we do know when things are stripped away. What matters? Elections matter. Decency and honesty and transparency by your elected officials matter. Right? Like, he went Mm -hmm. through and said... Let's not continue to look back behind us at the campaign that I ran in 2008, because if I was running today, it would be a different campaign. He embraced progressive measures. He hailed uh, Bernie Sanders um, for creating a vision of America that inspired young people. Right. Creating uh, uh, ambition and ideas that would propel us forward in the 21st century and he talked about forward momentum he also talked about joe biden surrounding himself with experts scientists military officials he listed them out to remind us of all of the people who have either been fired or have run screaming from the trump white house you know now that we have like i'm just curious like now that it is official, right, in that Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, that this is Barack Obama's first foray back into politics, right, with this with this video announcement. Will we see some changes in tone um, and appetite from Democrats to take on Trump in the midst of this pandemic because his mishandlings and his misdealings every single day are costing more lives? You know, my, my sense is, and this is such a, it's a unprecedented and, and, and delicate political situation because on one hand, you certainly don't want to look like you're overtly politicizing an ongoing real-time crisis and, and, and not make light of the people who's, who are 
you know, scared for their family, scared for their health, people who are, are grieving for people they have lost. Uh, and, and the reality being that we're still just getting to the front of this, uh, that, that, that it is yet to take hold in, uh, throughout what the entire country is going to experience as this summer kind of un- unfolds. Uh, I think that President Obama was right and the Biden campaign was right to roll out his support where the focus was on, on, on the vice president and not Donald Trump. Uh, there's going to be plenty of time to make that contrast directly with Trump, and, and I don't think that uh, the Biden campaign will be shy to do so. But I also think that there are lessons to be learned from the 2016 campaign, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that the one thing that we know is when it's all about Donald Trump, and I'll say Pete Buttigieg, I, I thought, always talked about this in the most articulate way, that if this election is only about Donald Trump, uh, that's not going to be enough to get people to come out, vote, and, 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 and change the channel from Trump uh, you know, in 2020. You know, Democrats have got to define uh, what they are for, what they will do for American people. Um, it, it is not enough, and we've seen this time again, it is not enough to be against somebody uh, and, 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 and for nothing, if you will. Uh, you know, when John Kerry lost President Bush in, in the 2004 cycle, it was in part because being anti-Bush or anti uh, the war on terror, that, that just wasn't enough because ultimately people still didn't know what a John Kerry presidency would mean for them. Similarly, Mitt Romney, uh, you know, his campaign was more about being anti-Obama than about what his agenda would actually do for the American people. Uh, you know, we have got to make sure as Democrats, and I say this as a new Democrat, that we articulate how we're going to make people's lives better. And, and this is something that particularly right now where people are out of work, where people don't know how they're going to pay rent or buy groceries or get toilet paper. People care about what these things mean to them uh, as, as terrifying to me as Trump's rhetoric is. The average person doesn't necessarily believe that the, the bombastic things he says or the insane things he tweets actually impacts their day lives on, on, on any real level. So Democrats have got to talk about how their vision for this country will make the average person's life better. Uh, and if, you spend, if we spend all of our time relitigating the horrible and outrageous things that Donald Trump has done, first of all, there's just not enough time of the day to do that. There's too many things that he has done that are, uh, that, that are beyond uh, the scope of reality. Uh, you know, we cannot make all of our attention about Donald Trump uh, because that's how he wins, frankly. If this is o- only about the Trump show, uh, he knows that he can win because that's what happened in 2016. You know, Kurt, we're we're in media, right? And and you and I try and use uh, our platforms for good, right? To to spread truth, uh, to empower people, uh, and and to bring attention to what they need to care about, right? To make these thoughtful decisions about leadership and about who is representing them. Media is still in this moment not doing a good job. Still in this moment, you know, you mentioned earlier, covering these press conferences that aren't press conferences. They're not briefings. They're mini Trump rallies. So, you know, while we don't want to continue our focus on Trump and instead focus on what it is Democrats are offering, how do we move around this media who still has their channel stuck on Trump and are not doing the work to push back against 
his lies um, and the danger that he is causing in any real way. Yesterday, I will say that several Chirons that CNN was running were finally yeah. on point. They were finally showing, right, in bl- black and white on the ticker that Donald Trump is unhinged. Right. Uh, that he is, lo- that that he is losing his goddamn mind. That about the media in years, honestly. Right. Uh, and, and I think... When you look at how I think the media needs to evolve, uh, what we saw yesterday within real time, uh, some of the cable news channels effectively using their screens as, as real-time fact checks and, and, and setting context for what was happening, I think we're, that, that needs to be the, the, the normal now. That needs to be the standard. If you're going to broadcast Donald Trump, and, and certainly you have to broadcast some of it. He is the president. I get that. Uh, but there needs to be some real-time context-setting accountability mechanisms that the media is using. Uh, it's it's not enough to air what he says and then after doing an analysis segment with commentators like us saying what was right, what was wrong. Uh, you know, we need in real time the people who are watching to see every time that this president says something that's not true, that is questionable, uh, that is dangerous. That needs to be identified. Uh, you know, and, and that's that, that's not being political bias that's mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. being anti-trump that's just that's just being responsible um and, which is the fundamental job of, of journalism is to just tell the truth and and report accurate context for what these things mean to the american people and when the president says uh you know that he has total authority that's a dictatorial statement mm-hmm. that's something and that we would that. expect from from putin and or or, or from kim jong-un right uh and so if he's going to say dictatorial things, then we need to call them what they are, which is dictatorial. People at home can decide whether they like that or not. I mean if, if, if you are a voter in this country and you have no problem with Donald Trump being your dictator, you are perfectly allowed to think that way. Mm-hmm. But we got to call it what it is and be honest about that. I, I think that that's right, that we have to call it what it is and be honest about that. What do you think now that Bernie Sanders has endorsed Joe Biden, former President Barack Obama has now endorsed Joe Biden, in your opinion, what is Joe Biden's next move? What is his campaign's next move? I think that because everything right now is focused on coronavirus, the response uh, as well as what we do once we get through this. Uh, the reality is whoever wins this election is, is still going to have to deal with the fallout from what we're going through right now. And I think the American people want to know, what does that mean? What are you going to do? How are we going to get back on track? How are we going to recover the losses that we've all absorbed right now? Uh, and, and also, how are we going to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Because by all accounts, uh, it seems like a very real possibility that even if we get through this first wave of coronavirus, that it can come back. We're seeing it come back in other countries that, that got through their first wave. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, uh, you know, what I want to hear from wh- whoever is going to lead us forward is what, what are we going to do? What is their plan? Um, you know, what we know about Donald Trump does, is that he's, he's long on rhetoric and short on specifics. And anytime he's pressed for specifics, he attacks the reporter who asks, who dares to ask him, well, what are you going to do about this? Uh, I, I think that the best thing that Vice President Biden can do is is put forward uh, an, an image of competency, uh, uh, that you know, the, the, the sense that he is up for this job and that he is going to that he has a plan. I mean, again, one of the things that I like most about Elizabeth Warren when she was running 
was the level of detail uh, on almost every issue that you can think of uh, that she afforded for the public to consume. And I think that when it comes to this current situation, Vice President Biden would be wise to kind of adopt an Elizabeth Warren. I have a plan for everything uh, when it comes to dealing with this the coronavirus, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to uh, the economy and jobs and living wages and uh, you know how people are going to afford their homes. Like every issue that we litigate in elections is is people are experiencing in real time right now. If you haven't had a living wage up to this point, you are being hurt three times harder than, than anybody else during this crisis. If, if you don't have affordable care right now, or if you're worried about having this president take away your health care plan by challenging Obamacare in the courts, well, how is that going to play out in the midst of an epidemic when, when people are going to hospitals and trying to get care or trying to get tested? Um, you know, if you are, you know, we're seeing African Americans are being hit harder by this than any other demographic. Uh, you know, the issue of income inequality and social injustice is at play right now, mm-hmm. and and we're seeing the causality uh, and and the consequences of our of our inability to address those issues head on. They're now they're they're now coming up in our in our in our hospitals, and people are dying because of it. All of those issues are things that this that that Vice President Biden needs to address. Uh, and I think that if he can do that substantively and realistically and genuinely, he can put together the coalition needed to, to win in November. Uh, last question for you, just on your uh, speaking of coalitions being put together. Uh, yesterday, there were machinations of this Reopen America committee that were being floated. And then uh, there was, I guess, a retreat from the administration on some of the names that had been floated or said that they were going to be on this committee, namely Ivanka Trump, uh, Jared Kushner, Larry Kudlow, Wilbur Ross, uh, Steve Mnuchin, not one doctor, (laughs) Not, not one scientist, uh, just all greedy um, millionaires who are hell bent on "quote unquote" reopening an Amer- reopening America without providing safety for American workers. What did you think about that? That this whole tap dance that happened, and then oh, that's not the committee. And also, those announcements came after both the West Coast and Northeast had already announced their plans on working together in their uh, in their tri-state areas to ensure a cohesive and collaborative reopening in those regions. You know, it just was another illustration that this president has no earthly idea what he's doing um, and, and how he's willing to let politics dictate his decision-making during a public health crisis. Uh, the idea that and, and that Larry Kudlow, <laughs> uh, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump should have any role in deciding what happens next uh, is dangerous. Uh, you know, the only people that we should be listening to right now are, are, are health, our medical health professionals. Mm-hmm. The fact that the president retweeted a tweet that had the hashtag, you know, fire, uh, uh, you know, Fauci is 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 nuts. Um, you know, we <laughs> the the. The first thing that Donald Trump could do to make sure that he loses is if he reopens America too soon. People go out there, and then they get sick and die. Uh, That will be game over if he actually does that. And it's one of those things where the irony of it is in his 
best interests politically as, as just a human being to listen to the experts right now. And, and doing anything but that puts him in perilous political jeopardy. And I think that when he announced the, the, the economic committee yesterday and got so much backlash, I think even Republicans were telling him this is a terrible idea. Um, you know, and, and they quickly retreated from that. Uh, it just showed, though, that, again, he is just so out of touch with what's going on. And it's really – it's ironic because it's his biggest supporters, his propaganda machine, Fox News machine, that by doing what they're doing every day, they're keeping him uninformed, and they're keeping him out of touch with what's going on. And that's what's going to cost them. If they were actually reporting the real situation on the ground and how this is playing out, he would make better decisions in theory, uh, and, and those decisions would benefit him politically in the long run. But by staying in this crazy kind of circular firing squad of him, Fox News, you know, and, and, and that propaganda media, and that's the only lens of which he's viewing the world, he's actually doing things that are just hurting himself. Uh, and, and, and he is setting himself up, I think, to have a significant backlash because what we know about Trump is if there is a bad decision to make, he will, he make, will it. make it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, 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 the difference now is people's lives are actually at stake and people are going to die because of those bad decisions. And that's something that uh, when that happens to you, you're, you're not going to forgive him for that. You're not going to vote for him because of that. I mean, from your lips to God's ears. Kurt Bardell, <laughs> uh, thank you so much um, for joining Woke AF Daily and providing your insights on what is just a never-ending story. <laughs> a never- I'll look forward to talking to you next week. It's like, it's like therapy for me talking to you. Yes, same, same. I look forward <laughs> to talking to you as well. Thank you so much. All right, folks, that is it for me today on Woke AF Daily. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Remember to subscribe to PM Mood and you get Woke AF Daily for free for the next three weeks. So wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, any of those places, subscribe to PM Mood and get Woke AF Daily in your feed. It is my quarantine gift to all of you. Stay safe and stay healthy as fuck. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. So my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.